You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, good morning, Mission family. Happy eight-year anniversary. It has been eight years. Can you believe it? Eight years, man. What a wild ride it's been, and I am so grateful that I have been here for the whole time. Uh, There were several times in 2020 where I just wasn't sure if we were going to make it here uh, to our eight-year anniversary, and here we are. God is so good, and I believe that he has a powerful word for us today. Uh, I know it's been wrecking me. Um, the last couple of days, and um, I just am wanting to share from my heart today. But before we get into all that, um, you know, one thing about me and my family, uh, particularly my wife and I, we love the beach. We always have, you know, um, our family spent a lot of time on summer break camping at the beach. And I'm from Ohio, and I grew up so envious of people who lived near the ocean. Uh, When I was a kid, my mom asked me what color I wanted to paint my room. And without a hesitation, I said, uh, light blue, because that looks like the ocean, at least I thought. And I can lean up against the wall and pretend to surf, right? I mean, here I am, this hopeless Midwestern boy dreaming dreams of surfing at the ocean. And yep, it's true. I've been California dreaming since I was a kid. And and here I am living about an hour east of the dream. (laughs) My son Owen inherited Kim and I's love for the beach too. Uh, I remember one time I was teaching Owen how to boogie board and I was helping him get started by grabbing the back of the board and pushing off, helping him push off onto the waves. And he was a natural and I was so proud. And we were out there for what felt like forever, but it was probably only like 30 minutes or something. And wave after wave, Owen is crushing it like he's a natural. And when I'd had enough and it was time to go back to our spot on the beach, I looked over towards our spot and I couldn't find it. And I'm looking around And we have this brightly colored umbrella, right? And and it's easy to see, but it wasn't there where I thought it was supposed to be. And after a few moments of looking around, I finally realized that Owen and I, in all of our fun, had drifted down the beach quite a ways from where we had set up camp. And and neither of us even realized it. Uh, The ocean had gradually shifted us down the beach without us even knowing. The waves had affected our footing to the point where we didn't immediately recognize the place where we were. But it's really easy to get swept up into the pull of the ocean. It's really easy. And in many ways, I feel like the ocean is a perfect 
analogy for culture. Culture, simply put, is a pattern of behavior shared by a society or group of people. I'm gonna say that again. Culture, simply put, is a pattern or behavior shared by a society or group of people. Many different things make up uh, society's culture. These things include food, language, clothing, tools, music, art, customs, beliefs, and and religion. And, And believe it or not, we are swimming in an ocean of culture every day. Keeping our footing can be challenging because the tides of culture are so strong. And if we're not careful to keep ourselves securely anchored, we can end up drifting somewhere we never intended or wanted to go. For Christians, that anchor must be Jesus. The anchor that holds us in place And on the straight and narrow has to be Jesus. No matter how much noise the tides of culture make, keeping ourselves anchored to Jesus is the best way to keep our footing sure and to keep from getting caught up in the current. Uh, In Jesus's time on earth, he was not afraid to go against the grain or ruffle some feathers. Uh, but he never does so carelessly. There was always a purpose when Jesus took a stand against his culture. And, and in fact, for his day, the teachings of Jesus were wildly countercultural. Uh, all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says repeatedly things like, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. Uh, He said things like, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ah, Jason, why do you have to go there? Like, Jesus says some crazy things, some really countercultural things. He says, you have heard it said eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. How countercultural is that? We, you know, we naturally want revenge, but Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. Uh, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You can't get more countercultural than Jesus in his day, but, but what about ours? Our culture is a lot different from Jesus's culture. Uh, We've been in this series, First Love, for a few weeks now, and we've been discussing how to keep our first love of God and our love for people. We've been, we've been talking about how to keep the love first in all areas of our life. So how do we keep Jesus our first love while being surrounded by an earthly culture that doesn't hold him in the same regard? How do we do that? 
This is why knowing Jesus and following the examples that he set are so important because having Jesus as your marker for what is right will always let you know when you're starting to drift away. Having Jesus as your anchor will secure you in what's right if you follow him and will always let you know when you're starting to drift. And and, uh, there was one particular instance in the Bible where Jesus took a stand against some things that had become culturally commonplace in the temple uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, I want to read the account and then we'll break it down. Um, turn with me to Mark eleven twelve, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Mark 11, verse 12. At this point in the book of Mark, Jesus has triumphantly entered Jerusalem, which we'll talk more about as Easter approaches. But chapter 11 tells us that Jesus went into the temple and looked everything over very carefully. But what Jesus saw troubled him. The entry to the temple was full of vendors and currency exchangers, and and what was supposed to be sacred had become simply transactional. And those transactions meant big business for the people who were Uh, selling and exchanging currency. Uh, During Passover, thousands and thousands of people would come from far and wide to worship and give an offering in the temple. And it had become commonplace for people to set up shop inside the temple to sell their animals for sacrifice at a highly inflated price. Money exchangers would take whatever currency you had from wherever you were from and for a very large fee exchange it for coins that were acceptable for the temple tax and offerings. And worst of all, the entrance to the temple was so crowded with vendors trying to make a buck that the Gentiles who wanted to worship couldn't even get in. Jesus sees and studies all of this, then turns in for the night. He doesn't charge in. He he goes back to the place where he was staying. We pick up this passage the next morning when Jesus does something very strange. I mean, strange even for Jesus, right? Um, Mark 11, chapter 12, New Living Translation. Uh, Here we go. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. I love that it says Jesus was hungry. Like, Jesus was fully human and fully God, and he got hungry. (laughs) He woke up hungry in the morning. That's amazing. Uh, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit, Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. 
When he arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. The next morning, they passed by the fig tree he had cursed. And the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Jesus, Jesus in this tree, right? Jesus in the tree. This is, this is a very strange thing for Jesus. Jesus wakes up one morning. He wakes up this morning and he's hungry. Uh, and he sees this tree that looks like it's brimming with life off in the distance. And, but as he gets closer, all those outward signs of, of, of life and, and the signs of bearing fruit, you know, it has, it has all these signs of life, right? It looks good from a distance, right? But upon a closer look, Jesus finds the tree to be fruitless. Knowing that his disciples are watching his every move, right? Just like a kid watching, their, watching Jesus' every move, Jesus curses the tree. Which is weird, because usually Jesus doesn't go around cursing things. Like, this is a very odd account. But there's a lot more going on in this interaction than meets the eye. Jesus arrives at the temple, and from a distance, the temple looks good from a distance. The temple is full of people which on a surface level is great. Like you always want the church to be full of people worshiping God, right? There's a lot of hustle and bustle, which to layman's eyes could mean that the temple was thriving, right? But as Jesus looks closer and as he examined the day before, he doesn't see a place where God through the temple is affecting the culture, Jesus clearly sees the depravity of the culture has taken over the temple. Jesus sees people who look more like they're in line at Disneyland than they are ready to worship in God's temple, right? I mean, seriously, they might as well have had mouse ears while munching on a turkey leg that they paid $40 for. Seriously, like that's, that's kind of the spectacle that Jesus was walking into. Lots of pastors have portrayed what happens next as Jesus losing his temper and lashing out in anger, I, I disagree. 
I believe that Jesus never did anything that didn't have a point to it. Jesus, uh, did Jesus make a scene? Yes, he made a scene, but that's not the same thing as lashing out in anger. Jesus drove out the money changers and all the people who were not only selling animals for sacrifice, but also the ones who were buying them. So not just the sellers, but the people who came to the temple to worship and were buying these things in the temple. And Jesus quotes Jeremiah to remind everyone why they are even here at the temple to pray and offer sacrifices to God who loves them, right? Jesus says this in verse 17, scripture declare, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And it wasn't just the people buying and selling that Jesus is executing judgment on. It's the leading teachers and priests that worked in the temple as well because they had allowed all this to happen with their approval. The temple priests and teachers didn't like Jesus' scene at all. Rather than repenting and joining Jesus in the course correction of the temple, they instead began plotting to kill Jesus. On the way back to where they were staying, Peter noticed the tree that Jesus cursed was dead. And Jesus doesn't really explain why he did what he did. But here's what I think. All along, the tree was an actionable metaphor for what was about to happen in the temple. Much like the temple, from a distance, the tree looked very promising. It was green and full of leaves. The temple was busy and full of people. But there was nothing of substance on the tree, no fruit at all. There was very little actual worship going on in the temple. And a lot of those who sincerely wanted to worship couldn't even get in. And Jesus executes God's judgment on both. One as a lesson for his disciples. And one as a wake-up call to the people of Israel. So why should you care? What does all this have to do with you and me? Well, think about the temple and all the hustle and bustle going on in it. I would guess that it didn't just start up like that one day. One day people are worshiping the way that they were supposed to and then the next day it's Disneyland on the inside. No, my guess is that there were gradual cultural compromises along the way. Little by little, until the temple was overtaken and completely compromised to the point where the temple became just like the culture it was surrounded by. 
One day, okay, well, we'll let pigeons in. Well, no, now we, we should probably let other animals in too. Well, people don't have the right currency to make an offering, so we better, we better make it easier on them. And, and so, but we, you know, we shouldn't be without. We, we're gonna, you know, we should uh, get something for our effort, right? So we'll just add a little uh, on top of the price. And well, maybe a lot. I mean, this is a lot of hard work and it goes and it goes and it goes. Subtle compromises to the point where the temple became just like the culture. And this is why if you are a Christian, you should care because it's not just the temple that was vulnerable to cultural compromise. You and I are vulnerable too which is why we need to stay anchored to Jesus so we don't drift down the shore into cultural compromise. Keeping our relationship with Jesus as our first love and not just a Sunday transaction. See, the real question we need to ask ourselves, if you are a Christian, I want you to ask yourself this question and be honest with yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to convict your heart if, if need be. Uh, the real question is, am I allowing culture to affect my view of Jesus or am I allowing culture or am I allowing Jesus to impact how I view culture? I'm gonna say that again. Am I allowing culture to affect my view of Jesus or am I allowing Jesus to impact how I view culture? That's a big question. Because I guarantee that if you aren't anchored in a relationship with Jesus, compromise is right around the corner. Probably closer than you would ever imagine. And I want you to be anchored in Jesus today so that you will know the truth, that your faith will be bolstered, that you will live in grace and mercy, that you will live the love of God while you love people of all nations. Mission family, we've made it eight years. Eight years. And it hasn't been easy. And when I think about this next year, the thing is, more so now than ever before, I don't want to be a part of a church that has done a lot of good things on the outside, but Jesus says, you have forgotten your first love. I don't wanna be a part of a church that looks good on the outside, but is barren on the inside. I don't wanna be a part of a church that looks more like Disneyland where people are being entertained rather than transformed. I don't wanna be a part of a church that settles for transactional and sacrifices the sacred. The thing I do want for each and every one of you is that you would have a deep 
and true and sincere relationship with Jesus, that you would allow Jesus to transform your life from the inside out, to heal your marriage when culture says it's time to split, to give you the strength to battle your addictions when culture says just one more, to help you exercise radical generosity when culture says it's all yours for the taking, for you to see with eyes of love the lost, broken, hurting, and lonely people around you when all culture sees is someone else's problem. I want more than anything right now for you to allow God to make good on his promise in Ezekiel 36 where he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what I want. I want us to not settle for transactional and sacrifice the sacred. I want us to have a tender, real relationship with Jesus where he removes our hearts of stone and replaces it with his heart. He removes our spirit and gives us his spirit. Don't allow the current of culture to shift your position. Anchor yourself in Jesus today. And, and maybe you're like, Jason, I, I, I feel like I've been adrift for a long time to the point where Jesus, I don't even, it, it, Jesus just feels fuzzy to me. Today, this week, I want to encourage you to re-familiarize yourself with Jesus. Start by reading a, a, a gospel account, one of the four gospels. Mark, we're going, we're going through Mark in grow groups right now, our small groups. It's not too late to join but re-familiarize yourself with Jesus. Heck, just read all the red letters in the New Testament. If you have a Bible with red, red lettering in it where Jesus spoke, just read all the red letters. Start there. Don't worry about understanding everything. Just consume it. And then spend time quietly reflecting on it and ask Jesus to open your heart and your mind and reveal himself to you. I guarantee he will. Re-anchor yourself in Jesus today. And maybe you're like, Jason, I don't know that I was ever anchored in Jesus. 
I have never accepted Jesus in my life, but I want to right now. And if that's you, I just want you to pray with me. It's just a simple, simple prayer. It's one line, and I'm gonna tell it to you right now. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it, that's it. So we're gonna pray that prayer together right now if that's you. Jesus, I give you my life. That's all. That's all it takes. Jesus, I give you my life. I give it over to you to live your life, to have my heart of stone removed and replaced with a heart of flesh. I give you my spirit so that you can put your spirit within me, so that I can see with your eyes and love with your love, that I may know you and be anchored in you. Jesus, I give you my life. Mission family, this is where we are going in 2021. We're not playing games. We're not playing church. We are going deeper and further into following Jesus and less of everything else than we ever have been before. We are more serious about discipleship than we ever have been before. We are more focused on Jesus and less distracted by church culture than we ever have been. This is where we're going in year eight of the mission. We hope you'll join us. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this time. Lord, I pray, Father, that your spirit would awaken us to to your love, that you would awaken us to where we are in terms of being anchored in you, God. Not that we don't stumble, not that we don't fall, not that we don't mess up, Lord, but, but have we drifted? Have we drifted, Lord? Father, Guide us as we remind ourselves what it's like to know Jesus, to reacquaint ourselves with Jesus, to know actually what Jesus said and did, to know Jesus in a deep and true way, a deep and true relationship. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. We pray a special blessing on on this church in the year to come. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.